everybody. This is Bob Bro. Welcome to the Best Old Time Radio Podcast. Once again, we're doing an archive show. This one was first broadcast back on September 26th in 2016. And we hope you enjoy it. Mr. Speaker, the President of the United States. Good evening, my fellow Americans. This is Millard Fillmore, 13th President of the United States of America. When I'm not attending White House functions with my fellow Whig Party members, or when I'm not sending Commodore Perry to open trade with Japan or admitting California to the Union, I listen to Bob Bro on Yesterday USA. He's my favorite. Bob, you have the presidential seal of approval. It's half past eight exactly, Mr. Dillon. I better get it out of the safe now. popular, Ed. The sportos, the motorheads, geeks, sluts, bloods, wasteoids, dweebies, they all adore him. They think he's a righteous dude. All right, let's go. Thank you, President Fillmore. Always love President Fillmore because I love his first name, Millard. Only Millard I've ever known. But I appreciate your kind words. Hi, everybody. This is Bob Bro, and welcome to the old-time radio show, Boomer Boulevard. This is where we play radio shows that we actually remember from when we were kids. Why do we remember them? Because we're baby boomers, and we were around back in the 60s, and many of us in the 50s, and we actually remember hearing some of these shows on the radio. Now, sometimes we heard them on television, because a lot of the shows made the transition to television, but we do remember them, and some of us actually remember listening to some of the radio shows, so everybody's welcome. You you guys are looking good today. Everybody's looking very fit and fiddle. Fit and fiddle, remember that, when your mom used to say that? Glad to have you. I've had a couple repeats for the last few weeks, and so I'm glad to be back with you live. Chester is in good uh, 
good shape tonight. He is all dressed up over there. What are you What are you wearing there, Chester? A Brooks Brothers suit. Nice tie. That's a college rep top. Button-down shirt. What kind of shoes? He's got the penny loafers on. The hair slicked down. Looking, looking good, Chester. All right. Well, look, we have a great lineup tonight. We have an episode of the lineup, which we don't play that often, but boy, it's a good one. You're really going to like it. We have an episode of Our Miss Brooks, and we're going to finish things up with an episode of Gunsmoke. So why don't you get yourselves comfortable, uh, maybe make yourself something to drink, put your feet up there on the ottoman, and get ready, because we're going to get started in just a minute. Ready for a little radio noir? This is a really good show. This is the lineup. This was originally broadcast in 1952 on CBS. The lineup ran for a number of years on radio, and then it made the transition to TV. Now on radio, it was said to have taken place in a great American city. When it was translated to television, they made that city San Francisco. And I remember the television show, I remember watching it with my parents. It was always very dark, the scenes were never well lit, and it really added to the atmosphere. The television show, among others, starred Tom Tully, who we know so well from so many radio programs, and he, he was such a gruff guy. Now, he wasn't in the radio show, at least he wasn't a regular. Bill Johnstone played Lieutenant Guthrie, and he was in all of the episodes recurring. His partners changed a little bit. The first year, it was played by Wally Mayer, and then Wally Mayer sadly died. Raymond Burke came in and filled in for a while. Tonight, we're going to hear Jack Moyles. 
and uh, there was an, a, a couple of reoccurring uh, characters, but mostly the show was made up of a repertoire of, of some of the great Hollywood actors, and some of the people you'll hear in many episodes include people like Howard McNear, Jeanette Nolan, uh, John McIntyre, they're all three in tonight's episode, and, and a number of others, too. High Averback was in a number of them. This is a good one. It's a gritty show, and the show always opened with a lineup and a lot of uh, ambient noises going on, a lot of extraneous talking in the background, and usually you're involved in a conversation between one of the detectives and a witness, or perhaps two detectives discussing a a particular crime that they're investigating. It really, really is effective. And this is a good one tonight, boy. And even though it's got a funny name, they they like to play games with the names. The, the episode tonight is entitled The Bebop Bandits Bungling Bang Bang. But boy, that title just does not give credence to the darkness of this story. Now, as you listen, there's three suspects involved in the crime that they're going to be investigating. See if you can follow exactly what happens to each one of those suspects and then we'll talk about it on the end. So here we go from 1952, November the 5th, here's the Ladies and gentlemen, we take you now behind the scenes of a police headquarters in a great American city where under the cold, glaring lights will pass before us the innocent, the vagrant, the thief, the murderer. This is the lineup. slow today. Well, I wouldn't kick about that. Uh, Cigarette? Yeah, thanks. Where are you going on your vacation? No place. I'm going to paint the house. Some vacation? Well, house needs painting. Peeling pretty bad. Hey, you need your brushes? Well, thanks, Quinn. Neighbor's going to loan them to me. Uh, hey, I have your attention, please. You uh, people out there have on the anyone? Other side of the wire in the mm -hmm. audience no, hey, I have no, your just attention, thought please. I'd watch cargo work. Thank you. How's for lunch? My okay. name is Cogger, Sergeant Pete Cogger. I'll explain the lineup to you. Each of the suspects you will see will be numbered. I'll call off a number, their name, and charge. If you have any questions or identifications, please remember the number assigned to the prisoner as I call his name. Now, the questions I ask these suspects are merely to get a natural tone of voice, so do not pay too much attention to their answers as they often lie. All right, bring on the line. All the way to the end of the stage, boys. Keep it moving all the way. You, you in front there. Me? You mean me? Yes, you, over here, this end of the stage. Now get over here. All right, now turn and face the front. You again. Me? Yes, the front. Face the screen. Uh, Stop talking in the line. You, number one, shut up. Okay, okay. All right, number one, Tony Lascelli, alias Tom Leslie, 12 arrests, three convictions. Probation, six months on the first sentence, three years on the second. Car theft and robbery. Step out, Lascelli. I said, step out. To where? You've been in lineups enough to do it blindfolded. Now, step out. 
This soldier? Where do you live? In a dump. With my old man. What's the address, Tony? I don't know. Someplace in the Bronx. What's the address, Tony? I ain't been here in six or seven years. How you think I'm gonna remember all that? What's your age, Tony? 23. And I'm tired of getting pushed around by you guys. Not asking your opinion. I just want facts. Well, that's a fact. Where do you live here? Here? I've been this stinking town two hours. Cops picked me up too fast to even rent a park bench. You want it in St. Louis, Denver, Phoenix, and Los Angeles? Yeah, I get around, huh? The charges went from suspicion of armed robbery to assault with a deadly weapon, a knife. Oh, nuts. I only nicked them. What brought you to this town? Guy had a job for me. What kind of job? Well, I guess you call it a bill collector. Explain it. Well, this guy wins three Gs in a game and don't collect, so he wants I should collect for him. Who hired you? You got him already. He's down the line there. Number six, Ronnie Dowling? Yeah, that's him. I hope you have a pleasant stay with us, Tony. Now, we'll see if we do better with you. Number two, Thomas Vincent. Open charge. Step into the circle. Where do you live, Thomas? Well, 6,000 Parkway Terrace. Is that a house? Well, it's an apartment hotel. I'm in apartment C. What do you do for a living? Uh, that's on the third floor, apartment C. Thank you, Thomas. Now, what do you do for a living? Nothing. You live in a pretty expensive neighborhood. <laughs> Boy, you're telling me. What do you do for a living? You asked me that once. I didn't like your answer. <clears throat> well? Well, what? What do you do for a living? I told you, nothing. What do you do for a living, Thomas? I... I keep books. What you mean is you make books. Yeah, yeah. I'm a bookie. Where were you arrested, Thomas? In a bar. What bar? Where? I don't know the name. Yeah, we're wanted in robbery detail. Memory, Thomas. Okay. Nick's Grill. It's on South Henry. Yeah, that's right. You have any weapons? Weapons? Oh, you... <laughs> Cargus, you had it today. I saw a couple of other guys. Oh, who? Two bank tellers. Dead. Where? Three guys took the National Trust Bank. Submachine guns. Tore up the place. <laughs> Hi, Ben. Uh, hello, Asher. Well, that's pretty nasty in there. Yeah, I expect. You're pretty well organized out here? Yeah, I'll have some more men here in a minute. They're roping off the side entrance now. Okay, rope it off here, too. Mally's setting it. The area covered? Yeah, it's tight. Okay, let's go in. Right. Mally, set that rope all the way. Hey, you folks here, keep moving right along, please. <coughs> Come on, now, move along. What kind of a car did they use? Well, I don't know yet. We're checking witnesses. Move along, everybody. Keep moving. There's nothing to see. They come out here? Uh-uh. Side entrance. All right, now move along. Hello, Ben. Hi, Doc. Asher says it's rough. Oh, brutal. Haven't seen men chopped up like that since the service. How many? Two men, tellers. They must have caught, oh, 30 slugs. The bank guard got hit pretty hard, too. He tried to stop him. Over there? Yeah. Shoulder and arm torn up. Tellers are down here. They really had it. No. I'll cover them up. Lab men aren't through with their pictures. Oh, all right. I've given sedatives to the girl over there, hysterical. Mm, I can understand that. 
Is the manager of the bank here? Oh, that's him over there, Ben. Name's Thomas Franklin. Oh, all right. Uh, get the employees into his office. Keep the others over there. Right. And Asher, yeah, ben. have the officials take account on what money's left. Oh, they're working on it now. Uh, Doc, uh, can I talk to the guard? You can try. Dr. Walters is working on it. Mm -hmm. You'll better make it fast, Ben. Right. Uh, can you hear me? Missed him, as clear shot, but I missed. You get a good look at them. Hit the alarm. Get police here. Now the police are here. Are you sure you missed? He's uh, he's hit hard, then. Yeah, you sure trying. Two more ambulances in front, Doc. Okay, let's get this man on the way. Keep that plasma going. Think you'll make it, Doc? You'll lose that arm anyway. The teller's over there? Yeah. What's left of them? But, Doc, uh, I want your lab reports as soon as possible. Slugs and cartridge cases. We'll try for a make on the guns. All right, I'll get on the slugs, Ben. They're really unloaded, huh? A uh, hundred rounds at least. Oh. That's a tough way to get it. You know a good way? Where's Mr. Franklin's office, Doc? Oh, over there. Quine, let's go. Franklin? Yes? I'm Lieutenant Guthrie. This is Sergeant Quine. Yes? I'd like to ask some questions, if you don't mind. Yes, of course. Sit down. Thank you. Terrible thing. Terrible. Uh, tell me, uh, where were you when this happened? I uh, here. That is, I was standing at the door here. Uh, door to your office? Yes, I was talking to Miss Haynes. She's my secretary. Uh, did uh, you see them come in? I saw them. There were three men. Well, can you describe them? Uh, well, no, I, I thought they were orchestra men. Orchestra? Well, how do well, you mean? They were all dressed alike, suits, hats, ties, all matched. Uh-huh. Uh, what about the features? Well, I, I, I don't know. They all looked alike, too. Well, you mean their faces? Yes, they're all the same. I thought I was dreaming. Uh, were you close enough to notice I, if they wore masks or makeup? It was like a makeup? dream, a horrible nightmare. I... I what? The lieutenant asked if they wore masks or makeup. Well, I, I don't know. Everything happened so fast. I, and then Lee and Joe, when they seemed to, just to tear apart. I, I've never seen anything like that. I, I guess I, I fainted. I guess. Well, it's a natural reaction, Mister Franklin. You needn't what? feel ashamed. Well, I do, though. I can't help it. The folks, <laughs> Lee's wife is expecting a baby. I, I'll have to call her and tell her. Get Dr. Carson Quine, sure. Now, look, the police are taking care of telling the family, Mr. Franklin. Those gunmen killing like that. The police are taking care of that, oh, yeah, too, Mr. Franklin. Up. I looked at him you and then he uh, See what you can do, Doc. Uh oh. Please call Lee's wife. Let's get him on the divan. Yeah, right. I'll give him a hypo. Right. Take off the coat, please. Is Mr. Franklin all right? Yeah. Nasty shock for a man his age. Doctor's taking care of him. I'm Miss Haynes, the secretary. May I help? Uh, Lieutenant Guthrie, Miss Haynes. Uh, I'd like to ask some questions, if of you don't course. mind. Uh, did you see the men? Oh, yes. How close were they? Mr. Franklin and I were talking there at the door. I guess I was 20 feet from the nearest one. Um... Uh, can you describe the men, the clothes, features, voices, anything like that? Yes. 
tell the truth, I was so scared I couldn't think. Well, how were they dressed? They all wore dark brown suits and brown felt hats. They all matched the same styling and material and everything. I didn't pay much attention at first, that is. Oh, well, why not? Uh, isn't it unusual to see three men all dressed alike? No, not around here. We have some theatrical agencies in the building and all kinds of odd characters come and go. I guess I just thought they were a combo. Uh, a combo? Uh, yes, you know, a small musical group. Oh, yes. Well, what about their features? Well, I remember I started to turn back to my desk when I realized they all looked alike. I mean, their faces were all the same. And, and I saw Mr. Franklin staring so funny. Then I heard the guns. Their faces were all alike? Yes, like masks. Uh-huh. Excuse me, Ben. Well, we've got to leave. Uh, just a second, please. Uh, what kind of mask, Miss Haynes? Well, I'm not really sure that's what they were. Well, were the faces like Halloween masks? Well, yes, only they weren't so grotesque. Well, they sell that kind, too, Miss Haynes. Uh, excuse me a moment, please. Yes, surely. Uh, what do you have, Coin? I should find a dead man down the Broadway cable tunnel. Gunman? Yeah. Well, the guard thought he'd missed. He didn't. Hit him pretty hard. Finally stopped him, huh? Uh-uh. His buddies knocked him off. Two in the head. Let's have a look. Out this way. Big telephone company work canvas stretched around a cable intake at the side entrance. Uh-huh. And what did the phone men say? No foam in there. A bunch of equipment laying around. Down this way, Ben. Yeah, he started to bleed here. Uh-huh. Out of the bank. Behind his work canvas. Down that manhole. Sure no fuss with a getaway car. More blood here. Hmm. Mally, call in. Get the phone people down here on the double. Let's go. Don't slip on that ladder. Huh? Right. Hey, 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 that's right. What's your standing? Give me a hand here. Hand me that flashlight. Uh, this puts us on the Broadway. Runs north and south. Turn your flash on. Right. Go down this way. Uh, a bigger tunnel than I thought. Yeah, it carries all communications and power. Watch these pipes. Yeah. Oh! I told you to watch the pipe. I know it. I know it. How far have we come? About 50 yards. He's up here. Oh. Now hold the light steady. Oh, yeah. God caught him inside. His partner sure messed him up. Can't tell much what he looked like. We've got to make off the prints. And they had it figured pretty good. Cigarette? Yeah, thanks. Ben? Yeah. I could use an aspirin. We want pictures on this guy, then get him out of here. Right, Ben. Out of here, Ben. Coming. We'll change clothes here. Uh, beginning to figure. Two suits, two masks. Uh-huh. More of these over something else. Yeah. There are exits down there. Mm-hmm. Hey. See daylight. Yeah, a uh, tunnel takes the right angle. Hey, look out for these beams. Now you tell me. You hurt? I tore my pants. Oh. Hey, what are you guys doing down there? Hi, Pete. There, grab my hand. All right. 
Yeah. Still sore, Pete? Sore? Oh, you mean the lineup. Those guys had me going. <laughs> they sure did. Yeah. Phone equipment here, too, huh? Now, where are we? Alley parallel to Main and off second. Second? That's two blocks from the bank. Yeah. Uh, Pete, see if the telephone people have gotten to the bank yet. If they have, get them down here. Right. Oh, it's Hey, coin. You tore your pants. I know it. I got a headache, too. Davis, division foreman of the phone companies, Lieutenant Guthrie. Hello, Mr. Davis. I got your call, Lieutenant. Came right over. Uh, thank you. Were you at the bank? Stopped there first. Certainly a tragedy. Yeah. Now, tell me, is that equipment down there yours? Oh, sure. Belongs to truck 37. It's a sign of Jimmy Willard's crew. Uh, how long has Willard been with the company? Twelve years. Good man. I hardly think he's mixed up in this. Well, somebody with cable experience is in on it. Has to be. Mm, yes, you're right. I've ordered all drivers to report in. Oh, good. Oh, excuse me, Mr. Davis. The lineman over there is holding a call from your office. Oh, thank you. Excuse me, Lieutenant. Uh, sure. Uh, Cargo, will you follow through on that guy? Tell him to rush the identification. Sure, man. Uh, put out an APB on this truck. Here's a con. All right. Yeah, I guess that's all we can do here, Ben. Yeah. Lieutenant Guthrie. Uh, yes, Mr. Davis. Uh, it's the office. They found the truck driver, Jimmy Willard. He's in the hospital. Been slugged. Now, uh, get over there, Quan. time is it, Quinn? Uh, five after two. Oh, wonder I'm hungry. I'm right through lunch. Well, Pete's bringing some sandwiches. Good. What'd you get at the hospital? Oh, Willard's still foggy. Took a pretty bad beating. Thinks it's a guy named Fritzy Morris. Morris? A telephone man? It was. Got fired. Troublemaker. Crockett's checking the file. Good. Oh, we found that phone company truck. Well, yeah, where? It's at the bottom of Lost Lake. Lost Lake in uh, State Park? Mm-hmm. Two kids phoned in about 20 minutes ago, said a guy drove it up to the cliff, got out, and let it roll into the lake. Oh, that's a break. Well, who's on it? Asher. He's got a crew up there now. Kids were pretty excited. Oh, that? It's kind of funny. Kids figured on getting a tanning. Oh, playing hook? Yeah. Took them two hours to get up the nerve to call in. Two hours? The hoods must have driven straight out to the lake. Mm-hmm. Then the guy drove away in a black Chevy coupe. License? Well, they didn't get that. Well, where are the kids now? Ashes buying them chocolate sodas. And what did you find out? Uh, here's a make. Gumman's got a record a mile long. Name's Miller, Frank Miller. Armed robbery. Got out four weeks ago. Hey, got onions on them. Yeah, it smells good. Yeah, he's yours. Ketchup and milk. Lieutenant Guthrie. Ben, this is Asher. Hi. They get the truck out? Yeah, there's a dead man in it. Two slugs in the head. Any leads? Yeah. Guy's billfold has a rent receipt in it. Made out to Paul Morris, dated two weeks ago. Apartment 2B on West Palmer Drive. The address is 1327. 1327 West Palmer Drive, apartment 2B. You set a stakeout? They're on their way. Good. We'll meet you there. shouldn't have eaten that onion. Oh, I thought you liked onions. I do. They don't like me. Oh. There's Asher. Yeah. 
Block's closed tight, Ben. Good. There's stakeouts set here? Three on each side, six in the back. We're covering the front. Have you seen anyone in the apartment? Uh-uh. There's a Chevy in the garage registered to Morris. Okay. We'll check the manager first. Mrs. Carter? Yes. Uh, we're police officers, Miss Carter. We'd like to ask you some questions, if you don't mind. Police? Why, my goodness, what's wrong? We're looking for someone, Miss Carter. Oh? Has anyone moved into the building recently? Well, only those two men in 2B. They moved in about two weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Can you describe them? Oh, yes. One's tall and dark, very handsome. Why, what have they done? Uh, you have those mugshots, Pete? Yeah. Yeah, right. Is this the man? Yes. That's Mr. Morris. Is he a crook? Among other things, yes. Pico, get Asher. Sure. Uh, Mrs. Carter, you stay in your apartment there. Maybe trouble. Oh, gracious. And keep your door locked. Yeah. All right, let's go. Second floor. You'd think the place would have an elevator. Yeah. You gonna bowl tonight? Uh-uh. We drew a bye. All right, this way. Now walk easy. Easy. All right, cover me. Open up, Morris. Police officers. Morris, the building's surrounded. We're giving you a chance. Come out with your hands up. Hit the lock, Asher. Stand back. Let him have it. You okay? Yeah. Yeah, got plaster all over me. Boy, he really had an armory here. Doesn't oh, come guns. here, man. Huh? Well, there's the money. He must have been counting it. Yeah. Ben. Huh? You been eating onions? Yeah. Want some gum? Well, thanks. The lineup, where before you pass the innocent, the vagrant, the thief, the murderer. Listen again next week when we again bring you the lineup. May I have your attention, please? You people out there on the other side of the wire in the audience room, may I have your attention, please? Thank you. My name is Cogger, Sergeant Pete Cogger. I'll explain the lineup to you. Each of the suspects you will see will be numbered. I'll call off a number, their name, and charge. If you have any questions or identifications, please... The lineup, starring Bill Johnstone as Lieutenant Ben Guthrie, with Jack Moyles as Sergeant Pete Carger, was written by William J. Ratcliffe, with music by Eddie Dunstetter. Featured in tonight's cast were High Everback, Peter Leeds, Tony Barrett, Howard McNear, Sidney Miller, John McIntyre, and Jeanette Nolan. The lineup was produced and directed in Hollywood by Jaime Del Valle. <laughs>
never doubt the impact of radio, and especially CBS Radio, or its legions of listeners across the land. The last time anyone counted, there were over 105 million radio sets in America, and people really use them. How else could a phenomenon like this take place? Next Tuesday night in California, Gene Hersholt will receive an honorary M.D. degree, awarded to him in recognition of 15 years as country doctor on CBS Radio's Dr. Christian series. Radio, and especially CBS Radio, where America listens most, is proud to carry on its leading role in bringing America news, public service programs, and diversion day and night. Dan Coverly speaking, and remember, America listens most to the CBS Radio Network. Pretty impressive show. Pretty impressive show. Very realistic, very gritty. Didn't I say it? Could you follow all of that? Now, I, I, there was three guys that robbed that bank, right? And the first guy was shot by the guard. And so I guess he was dying in the tunnel, and his buddies shot him in the face twice to kill him. Ooh. And then one of the other suspects went over the cliff in the car, right? Does that mean that the third guy killed him too, just to have all the money to himself? Boy, I tell you, that's that's a little different than Philip Marlowe or or some of the other programs. I mean, this was a realistic show in 1952. That was the lineup, and the name of that one was the Bebop Bandits Bungling Bang Bang, and I don't like that title. But then that's just my own opinion. I, like I said, I remember watching that as a kid with my parents. Not in 52. Probably the TV show was in the mid-50s. I, I just I remember that show and, and how dark it was. One other thing, just and I didn't do any homework on this, I should have, but at some point, they changed the way lineups are done. You talk about being prejudicial. My goodness, calling a guy out and giving his whole criminal history and saying that don't listen to him because he's probably a liar. Oh my goodness, you couldn't get away with that now. Now when they have a lineup, like they'll put the suspect in the lineup, but they'll put other people that are of similar build. Because after all, if you said that the the the, the person that you saw was six foot eight and white and had blonde hair, uh, you're not going to put him up against a you know a five foot three black man that's bald and a, an Asian man. You know you're you're going to try to get people that look similar and. Usually the other people in the lineup, as I understand it today, a lot of times are other policemen or something, that they're not really suspects. That's a truer test, right? If the person really saw, if you were looking at a lineup and they said, well, this guy here is a career criminal and don't believe a word he says because he's a liar, you'd be a little more quick to maybe point him out, wouldn't you? Anyway, I've kind of just rediscovered the lineup. I've had a, a few episodes in my uh, in my file, so we will play more episodes in the weeks ahead. We got married in a fever. 
hotter than a pepper sprout. We've been talking about Jackson ever since the fire went out. I'm going to Jackson. I'm gonna mess around. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to Jackson. Look out, Jackson Town. Talking man, make a big fool of yourself. Yeah, yeah, go to Jackson, but go comb that hair. I'm gonna snowball Jackson. Go ahead and see if I care. When I breeze into that city, people gonna stoop and bow. <laughs> All them women gonna make me. Teach 'em what they don't know how. I'm going to Jackson. You turn loose of my coat, 'cause I'm going to Jackson. Goodbye. That's all she wrote. Boy, do you remember that one? That was from the 1960s. That was Nancy Sinatra and Lee Hazelwood and Jackson. They had several big hits back in the 60s, and we're going to hear a couple others before we're all done here today. Okay, before we move on, I uh, wanted to share, you know I'm a sucker for a, a moving, touching story. And I get people mailing me in stories quite often. And every once in a while, I just there's one of them I have to read on the show. And this came from a listener up in Nova Scotia in Canada. And it said, Dear Bob, I'm a bagpiper. That's right, a bagpiper. He plays the bagpipes. I play at many different events up here in Nova Scotia. Recently, I was asked by a local funeral director who was a longtime family friend to play at a graveside service for a poor old homeless man. This man, it seems, had no family. He had no friends. The service was to be in a local cemetery that had a section set aside for paupers. The cemetery was located off in the backcountry in an area I was really not familiar with. So on the way to the cemetery, I sadly became lost, and there just wasn't any place to get directions. 
Finally, I found my way and arrived at the cemetery, but I was a full hour late. My friend, the funeral director, was no place to be found. Even the hearse was gone. All that was left was a small group of grave diggers, and they had stopped their work, and they were eating their lunch. I felt terrible that I'd missed this this poor man's funeral, and after apologizing to the men, I looked down into the grave, and it appeared that the vault lid was in place, and they were ready to start shoveling the dirt. I decided that I had to do the decent thing, and I would play for this man before the ground was shoveled back onto his grave, and the grave was covered with sod. And so that's when I began to play. The workers, one by one, put down their lunches and slowly began to gather around. Bob, I played my heart out for this poor soul who had left this life without knowing family or friends. I played like I had never played before, just thinking about this poor homeless man. Finally, as I was finishing up with amazing grace, the workers began to weep. They wept. I wept. We all wept together. When I finally finished, I picked up my bagpipes and was heading for my car. With my head hung low, my heart was full. I felt that I had done something good for this poor lost soul. That is when, as I opened the car door, I heard one of the workers say, Aye, boys, ain't that something? I've been putting in septic tanks for 25 years, and I ain't never seen nothing like that. Respectfully, Duncan McTavish, Kemptville, Nova Scotia. Well, thank you very much, Duncan. Like I said, I always, always enjoy receiving touching stories from uh, listeners and always am happy to share them with, uh, with your fellow listeners. And I hope you enjoyed Duncan McTavish's story from up there in Nova Scotia. Wouldn't you like to fly up, up and away? Wouldn't you like to fly? If you'll take our hand, we'll chase your dream across the sky. For we can fly, we can fly, up, up and away. How beautiful, how beautiful to fly. We'll pick a star in the twilight canopy. And search the world for the sights you long to see Your heart is young, you're alive, so come with me T-W-A Up, up, and away 
save something for everyone on comedy tonight. Nothing with kings, nothing with crowns. Bring on the lovers, liars, and clowns. Ah! Situation, no complications. Nothing portentous or polite. Comedy Corner this week, we are going back to high school, Madison High School, that is, with an episode of Our Miss Brooks, which was originally broadcast on the 21st of August in 1955. The name of this episode is Who's Going Where, and on this one, we're not going to be dealing so much with the students at Madison High or with the uh, goings-on in the classroom at Madison High, but actually, we are going to be focusing in on the competition that Connie Brooks feels with Miss Enright, a teacher who also has her designs on a shy biology teacher by the name of Mr. Boynton. And in our episode tonight, Mr. Boynton is played by Robert Rockwell, who did the role on television. It's a pretty good episode, I think, and it's got great sound quality, so let's give a listen. Here we go from 1955, Our Miss Brooks, and who's going where? Our Miss Brooks, starring Eve Arden. Well, if persistence alone can earn a high grade, you've got to give Our Miss Brooks, who teaches English at Madison High School, an A for effort. It's taken almost six years, but this weekend she arranged to have Mr. Boynton, Madison's shy biology teacher, all to herself. Yes, indeed. This time, I absolutely put my foot down. It was just Mr. Boynton and me and 500 delegates to the teacher's convention. (laughs) You see, over the past weekend, a special meeting was held in Evanston to help celebrate American Education Week. I had persuaded Mr. Conklin, our beloved principal, to send me, along with Mr. Boynton, as Madison's representatives. And Friday morning, my landlady came into my bedroom just as I finished packing for the trip. You know, Connie, it looks just like cowhide. I know, I haven't put on my makeup yet. (laughs) Oh, you mean the valise. It is nice, isn't it? I borrowed it from Mrs. Rapp down the street. Have you got everything packed, Connie? I think so. Let's see. The nighty Harriet Conklin loaned me is in, and Mrs. Conklin's negligee, that's in. Your nylon stockings are in. Yes, I've got my things all packed. (laughs) Good. And just wait till you see the new suit I'm wearing for the occasion. Of course, I won't be able to put that on until 5.15 today. Why not, Connie? Tilly Eberhardt doesn't get home from work until then. (laughs) You're terribly excited about this weekend trip, aren't you, dear? Oh, of course, Mrs. Davis. This is quite an important convention. I'll get an opportunity to exchange ideas and opinions with other people in my line of work. I'll get an opportunity to see what's being accomplished at other schools. What else will you get, Connie? I'll get all my expenses paid and a whack at Mr. Boynton. (laughs) That will be nice. You and Mr. Boynton seeing strange places and strange faces together. The strange places are all right, but the strange faces can go to the races. (laughs) There's one thing that puzzles me, Connie. Knowing your relationship with Mr. Conklin... 
How did he happen to choose you as a delegate? Well, it's very simple, Mrs. Davis. Remember two weeks ago, Mr. Conklin got himself a new gray flannel suit? Yes, indeed. His wife, Martha, told me he spent a small fortune on it. I'm glad it was a small fortune. I spilled a small bottle of ink on it Monday. <laughs> you didn't. He now has gray flannel pants and a very sporty blue jacket. <laughs> anyway, on Tuesday, he left his wristwatch on his desk, and I accidentally brushed it to the floor while I was picking up some papers. Then when I bent down to get it, I broke the crystal. But a crystal is easily repaired. Not when you break it by putting your heel through the back of the watch. <laughs> but, Connie, I don't understand. Why did Mr. Conklin pick you for the convention this weekend? Well, I was just getting to that, Mrs. Davis. You see, Mr. Conklin's buying a new pair of glasses this morning, and he wants to give them a three-day head start. <laughs> Sounds logical. Well, I know another English teacher at Madison who'll be mighty disappointed that she's not going on this trip. You mean Miss Enright? I do. She's almost as sweet on Mr. Boynton as you are. And this weekend trip would be a wonderful opportunity for her to cut you out with him. Please, Mrs. Davis, I just got up. Why talk about nightmares? <laughs> no more pencils, no more books, no more... Wait for me, Miss Brooks. <laughs> well, Walter Denton, why didn't you pick me up this morning? You know my car's in the repair shop. It so's mine. Yesterday when I started for home, it happened. What happened? As soon as I stepped on the starter, the exhaust pipe blew the rest of the car into Hersh's meat market. <laughs> That's awful, Walter. Yeah, anyway, I'm glad I caught you before you dropped into Mr. Boynton's biology lab. What made you think I was going to drop into the biology lab? Yo, please, Miss Brooks, it's too early in the morning for quips. Yeah, what I meant was I thought I could save you from a big disappointment Oh, that's all right, I'm used to him by now <laughs> I mean, uh, what kind of disappointment? Uh, Mr. Boynton isn't in school What's more, he isn't coming to school today What? But we're supposed to leave from here for the convention Yeah, I know it, Miss Brooks And I, I know how devastated you'll be by the news But Mr. Boynton won't be able to go to the convention He's sick in bed Sick in bed? How do you know? Harriet told me he called in a little while ago and left the message with one of the teachers. But how can I leave town if Mr. Boynton is sick? He has no more relatives in this part of the world than I have. Who'll take care of him? Let me put your mind completely at ease, Miss Brooks. Harriet and I can run errands for Mr. Boynton. Besides, I'm sure Miss Enright will be glad to nurse him back to health. Walter, you couldn't have put my mind more at ease if you'd told me my train was going to be bombed. <laughs> exactly smitten with Miss Enright, are you, Miss Brooks? Well, frankly, Walter, there isn't a lot of affection squandered between us. Well, she always speaks highly of you, Miss Brooks. Why, just the other day, Miss Enright said the only reason she can't see a romantic attachment between Mr. Boynton and yourself is because of the difference in your ages. Miss Enright said that? Sure. Well, let's see now, what were her exact words? Oh, yeah, I remember. She said that in her opinion, Mr. Boynton was definitely old enough to be your kid brother. <laughs> oh, she did, did she? Well, that makes my next step quite apparent. If you'll excuse me, Walter, I'm going right over to the principal's office. What for? I've got to see a man about a cat. <laughs> Mr. 
Come in. Good morning, Mr. Conklin. Don't come any closer, Miss Brooks. But, sir, I just... I... If you take one more step, I'll call for help. What in the world are you talking about, Mr. Conklin? I've got my new glasses on, Miss Brooks, and I mean to protect them with my life. <laughs> Mr. Conklin, your glasses are reposing firmly on your nose, and I'm nowhere near you. That is how it always starts. You weren't near me when you spilled that ink on my flannel suit either, or when you smashed my watch, or last month when you dropped the typewriter on my toes, or last week when you closed the office door on my nose. Oh, I meant to ask you about that, Mr. Conklin. Was that door ever fixed? <laughs> you will be pleased to know, I'm sure, that thanks to your valiant efforts, I have become one of the poorest accident insurance risks in this part of the state. <laughs> I won't draw an easy breath until you're on the train this afternoon. I presume you're packed and ready to go. Yes, sir, and I'm really looking forward to it. This is the first convention I've attended since I represented Gordon High School six years ago. That was a lot of fun. <laughs> well, you are not going to this convention to have fun, Miss Brooks. As Madison's standard bearer, our school will be judged by your actions. Always remember that. Oh, I will, Mr. Conklin. You can depend on me, sir. I won't get myself thrown into jail this time. <laughs> jail? You mean you were thrown into jail at your last convention? Oh, for the most absurd reason, Mr. Conklin. Can you imagine being locked up for riding around on a motorcycle? Well, that's hardly a jail offense. That's exactly what I told the policeman. Besides, he wasn't using it at the time anyway. <laughs> you took a policeman's motorcycle? It was just a lark, sir. There was absolutely no reason for them to put that picture in the paper. What picture? A picture of me holding up a burlesque queen in the drunk tank. Miss Brooks, you can start unpacking at any time. You are not going to the convention. Not going? But, Mr. Conklin, think of your new glasses. My glasses will have to live dangerously like the rest of my person. <laughs> but if you don't send me, sir, who will you send? Well, I haven't given it any thought. I, have, have you any suggestions? I haven't given it any thought either, Miss Enright. <laughs> Miss Enright might be just the person. She has poise, bearing. Do you think she'll relish the idea of going? Believe me, Mr. Conklin, when you tell her about it, she'll be so happy she'll clap her paws in glee. <laughs> now, if you'll excuse me, sir, I'll get to my classroom. Very well, Miss Brooks. Yes, Miss... Thanks a lot. <laughs> well, good morning, Miss Brooks. Oh, good morning, Mr. Boynton. Uh, wait till you hear the news. I was just in Mr. Conklin's office. Mr. Boynton, what are you doing up? Go right home and get back into bed at once. Bed? What for? I'm not sick. You're not? No, I never felt better in my life. What a revolting development this is. <laughs> Walter told me that Harriet said you were sick in bed. Harriet? Well, I didn't talk to Harriet. When I phoned the school this morning, I thought I was going to be delayed at the biology supply house. So I left that message with one of the teachers. What teacher? Miss Enright. I should have said which teacher. 
And she's a witch teacher if I ever saw her. <laughs> Do you suppose she could have confused the words delayed with laid up? Oh, there's no confusion at all. This is the result of careful calculations. Miss Enright knew that Harriet would tell Walter. Also that Walter would, if he saw me, and that's customary, he'd almost be sure to, tell me. And then knowing what she would do, or thinking she know what I would do, she told Harriet what I later heard from Walter. And then I did what she thought I'd do. Miss Brooks, are you all right? Why are you speaking in such jerky sentences? There's a very good reason, Mr. Boynton. I have just been completely taken in by a very jerky teacher. we sat down to lunch in the school cafeteria, I told Mr. Boynton that I suspected Miss Enright of deliberately saying he was ill so that I would withdraw and she could go in my place. At first, he refused to believe it of her, but finally his sense of justice was so completely outraged that he seemed beside himself with fury, and he violently shouted, Maybe it was all a misunderstanding. <laughs> Why should Miss Enright think you'd stay home from the convention even if I was sick in bed? Because I would, that's why. Somebody would have to take care of you, get your medicine, and fix your meals, and see that you were made comfortable. Uh, Miss Brooks, may I remind you that I'm not sick in bed? Oh, I know that, Mr. Boynton. Then would you mind not taking my pulse? I uh, need this hand to finish my wax beans. <laughs> I still say that when people haven't any relatives in a place, it's up to the people who think something of people to do something for the people they think something of. <laughs> Maybe I should teach Spanish. <laughs> I, I, I know you're disappointed about not attending the convention, Miss Brooks, but if you have any suggestions you'd like me to put before the meeting... There's only one suggestion I'm worried about, and that'll come from Miss Enright to you. Say, that's funny. What? You're mentioning Miss Enright. She's heading for this table now. Well, speak of the devil. It's just the way she's wearing her hair. <laughs> She spotted us. Oh, hello, Miss Brooks. Mr. Boynton, why aren't you home in bed? His sheets caught on fire. <laughs> you know yourself, Miss Enright, that I only phoned to say that I might be delayed getting to school. Delayed? Oh, I thought you said laid up. You did? Now, you see, Miss Brooks, it was a misunderstanding. Oh, of course. Like the one Custer had with those red chaps. <laughs> Oh, now, don't be a bad loser, darling. Not that you are, really. I understand that you personally recommended me to Mr. Conklin for the position of second delegate for Madison High. Oh, you did that, Miss Brooks? I wish my mother had quit after my two older brothers were born. <laughs> Sorry, do you mind if I join you at this table? The cafeteria is quite crowded now. Not as crowded as this table right now. <laughs> oh, sit down, Miss Enright. Oh, I see you have your own sandwich. Now, uh, can I get you some water or a napkin or something? Oh, go ahead, Diamond Jim. <laughs> You're a toothpick, too. <laughs> I'd love some water, please, Mr. Boynton. Oh, very well. I'll, I'll get some for all of us. Oh, I'm a great boy for water. He's a great boy for a lot of things. <laughs> Well, you'll be happy to know, darling, that Mr. Conklin told me of my selection as second delegate early in the day. That's why I was able to get home during a free period, pack a valise, and put on my new fall traveling suit. Do you like it? It all depends how far you travel. 
Look, Miss Enright, we both know that your going to the convention is my fault, but we also know that my not going is your fault. Do I make myself clear? Uh, to me, yes. But I can't help wondering how much of you gets across to your pupils. <laughs> well, that's the wrong attitude, though, isn't it? Let's not spoil Mr. Boynton's luncheon with a lot of female bickering. You're right, Miss Enright. I might as well be a good sport about it. All's fair in you-know-what in war, I guess. Well, here we are, ladies. Here's some good old H2O. Greatest thing since water. <laughs> Sit down, Mr. Boynton. Oh, I brought some coffee for us, too. Oh, that was very considerate, Mr. Boynton. Tell me, uh, do you think this suit I'm wearing is all right for our train trip today? Oh, yes, Miss Enright. It looks fine. It's a very provocative shade of green. Don't you think so, Miss Brooks? In my present mood, it's puzzling. I can't tell where her suit leaves off and my face begins. <laughs> Actually, Miss Enright, it is an interesting shade of green. Who knows? You may blend in with your Pullman chair so well, Mr. Boynton won't be able to find you. <laughs> is that what you call being a good sport, Miss Brooke? Sorry. Let's be gay, shall we? Drink up, Mr. Boynton. We'll knock that water cooler silly. <laughs> I've had plenty, thanks. I'm working on this beef stew right now. If you ladies will excuse me, I'm not much for conversation while I'm eating. Of course, Mr. Boynton. Bon voyage. <laughs> Tell me, Miss Enright, what other clothes are you taking on the trip? Oh, just my two good dresses. As a matter of fact, they're the only two I'd wear out of the house. But I thought you had quite an extensive wardrobe. Oh, yes, I did. But I gave loads of last year's stuff to charity. I feel the poor have to live, too. What a liberal viewpoint. <laughs> I'm sorry, Miss Enright. I'd really like to let bygones be bygones. I'm going to get myself a little dessert now. May I bring you something? Well, I could do with a piece of pie. Oh, I'd be happy to do you with a piece of pie. <laughs> I'll pick out something real nice. Hey, wh where are you going, Miss Brooks? Can I get something for you? You keep bucking that beef. <laughs> You're only yards away from a first down. <laughs> I'll be back in the jiffy. Oh, don't make it anything too rich, darling. Leave it to me, darling. I'll fix you up fine. Hi, Miss Brooks. I was happy to see that Mr. Boynton wasn't sick enough to miss school today. He's not sick at all, Harriet. It was just a plot to get me to volunteer to stay home so Miss Enright could go to the convention in my place. I suggested her to Mr. Conklin myself. And he took your suggestion? Hook, line, and stinker. A <laughs> But I've got an idea that may still turn the tables. I'm going to get Miss Enright a nice piece of pie. A piece of pie? Because she played a dirty trick on you? Exactly. Let's see now. What goes poorest with a green dress? <laughs> with a green... Oh, I get it. Miss Brooks, you're going to present Miss Enright with the pie, but in several places. Why, Harriet Conklin, what an outrageous thought. I'll just take this coconut cream pie, I believe. How about taking this piece, too? Both of them? Sure. Then you can lose your balance easier. <laughs> and as you let her have it, you can sing White Christmas. <laughs> you have an extremely poetic mind. <laughs> Oh, Harriet, there's no one at this counter to punch my food check. Will you please get it done for me? I'll pick it up on my way out. Oh, sure, Miss Brooks. You go right ahead. Thanks, dear. Don't mention it. Happy landing on. 
I hope I wasn't too long. I brought some pie back for both of you. Oh, that was very thoughtful, Miss Brooks. Oh, looks delicious. Oh, yes, it does. I'll pass Mr. Boynton's piece over to him, Miss Brooks. Oh, I think I can manage. Oh, come on. Let me have it. Well, if you insist. <laughs> oh, I must have tripped. How could you be so clumsy? Oh, my goodness. The pie's all over your new suit. Oh, dear. Well, not quite all over it, Mr. Boynton. Most of it splattered on the coat. The skirt's not touched, thank goodness. That's what I get for not keeping my head down. <laughs> I'll, I'll just dip a napkin in this water. Maybe we can get some of that goo off your coat. Oh, good. Oh, here, let me try. Uh, watch out the... for the coffee cup. Oh! Oh, no! All over my skirt. That's what I call teamwork. <laughs> Terribly sorry, Miss Enright. My new suit is completely ruined. First pie on the coat and then coffee on the skirt. It's like I always say, what good's a piece of pie without a cup of coffee? <laughs> Your alleged humor leaves me cold at this point, Miss Brooks. It's a good thing I had the foresight to pack my other dresses and leave them in my gym locker. No, it is indeed, Miss Enright. You'd hardly have time to get new clothes this afternoon. The train leaves at 5.45. Well, accidents will happen. I apologize again, Miss Enright. And now, if you'll both excuse me, I've got to practice a bit. Practice? Yes, my work on the parallel bars has been very vertical. I had done my best to prevent Miss Enright from attending the teacher's convention with Mr. Boynton. However, to my disappointment, I discovered one ruined dress doesn't mean a missed convention, at least not when die-hard Daisy happened to have the rest of her clothes packed and waiting in her gym locker. Later that afternoon, I received an urgent request to report to our principal's office. Uh, you sent for me, Mr. Conklin? Yes, Miss Brooks, I did. I have just spoken with Miss Enright. She, it appears, was foolhardy enough to have lunch with you. We did share the same table, but... And fortunately, she escaped without any serious bodily injury. <laughs> However, she has been forced to withdraw as Madison's second delegate to the teacher's convention in Evanston. You mean she's not able to go? Miss Brooks, when Miss Enright informed me that you had peppered her garments with a slab of coconut cream pie, it didn't surprise me in the least. But there's one thing that does puzzle me. What's that, Mr. Conklin? Well, if it isn't revealing too much of a trade secret, Miss Brooks, would you kindly tell me how you managed to plop a second piece of cream pie on the dresses packed inside her valise, <laughs> which was inside her locker? I guess when I get clumsy, I just go hog wild. <laughs> Well, until they infringe upon school operations, personal rivalries on the faculty are not my concern. However, there are two train tickets available for this trip. I know it, yes, sir, two tickets. And there are two delegates expected to the convention. That's right, two delegates expected, two of them. As you know, Mr. Boynton is one of the delegates. All we need now is another one. You're right, Mr. Conklin, you're so right. You're the rightest thing since the right brothers. <laughs> Just one more delegate's all we need. Yeah, uh, Miss Brooks. Yes, Mr. Conklin? Get off my desk, you're not going. <laughs> 
I have just made my selection for delegate number two. Who? Me. You? None other. Not only will the trip do me a world of good, it will reflect prestige and credit upon Madison High as well. However, I don't want you to feel completely out of things, Miss Brooks. So? So I want you to type up these notes for me. They contain some remarks I will make to the convention. Now, toddle along, Miss Brooks. Yes, sir. Oh, Mr. Conklin. Yes? I realize it's quite late, but how would you like to be my guest for a little lunch? <laughs> Not today, thank you. But don't be discouraged. It was a nice try. <laughs> Good day, Lucrezia. <laughs> Goodbye, sir. Don't be discouraged, he says. Of all things to happen to a person. Well, Miss Brooks, you must be upset today. You're talking to yourself. I know. I'm a very good listener. <laughs> oh, it's you, Mr. Boynton. Yes. I'm going in to talk to Mr. Conklin for a moment. Mr. Conklin? Are you in trouble? Oh, not at all. I'd rather not mention why I'm seeing him until after the interview. But if you'll wait right here, Miss Brooks, I think I'll have a pleasant surprise for you when I come out of his office. Surprise? Yes. Uh, now wait right by that fire hose on the wall. I'll just be a few minutes. Don't worry, Mr. Boynton. Unless the hose catches on fire, I'll be here. <laughs> oh, I'm glad you waited for me, Miss Brooks. This hose is doubled over exactly 62 and a half times. Now, what's the surprise? Well, I knew how anxious you were to make this trip to Evanston, so... When Miss Enright withdrew, I determined to prevail upon Mr. Conklin to let you go as originally planned. But there are only two tickets available, and Mr. Conklin's using one of them himself. I know that, Miss Brooks, but you're going anyhow. I am? Yes. I turned my ticket back to Mr. Conklin. <laughs> what? Of course, he was a little timorous at first, but when I pointed out how helpful you could be to him, taking notes and typing and whatnot, he agreed to have you accompany him to the convention. But what about you, Mr. Boynton? Oh, don't worry about me. I'll be busy as a bee over the weekend. I'll probably go on a shopping tour with Miss Enright. You really must excuse me, Mr. Boynton. This is the only traveling dress I own, and I've got to fix it up right away. Fix it up? What's wrong with it? That's obvious. It hasn't any coconut cream pie on it. <laughs> Our Miss Brooks, starring Eve Arden Transcribed, was produced and directed by Larry Burns, written by Al Lewis, with the music of Wilbur Hatch. Mr. Conklin was played by Gail Gordon. Others in tonight's cast were Jane Morgan, Dick Crenna, Bob Rockwell, Gloria McMillan, and Mary Jane Croft. Be sure to be with us next week for another comedy episode of Our Miss Brooks. August 21st, 1955, as originally heard on CBS, that was Who's Going Where on Our Miss Brooks. Teachers these days don't dress up like they used to back in 1955. I don't know if you have occasion to go to a school or to visit a school, but I think at least here in the St. Louis area, uh, where they're not inappropriately dressed, certainly, 
the teachers are very casual. You will see teachers in walking shorts and uh, T-shirts and sandals, and they didn't, uh, didn't dress up the way they used to. Of course, the students don't either. And in some respects, that's a good thing. I can remember in high school, our dress code was very strict. Boys had to have their shirts tucked in. You had to have uh, a belt on. That's why a lot of us, at least in Long Beach, used to cut the belt loops, very carefully cut the belt loops off of our Levi's so that they couldn't say you had to have a belt because <laughs> your jeans had no belt loops. I think the rule was if you had belt loops, you had to wear a belt. And so we took our belt loops off. But our shirts had to be tucked in unless they were square cut. If they were square cut, they didn't have to be. But if they were uh, like a regular dress shirt, you had to have it tucked in trying to think what else hair had to be a certain length but girls oh my they really had it i mean i remember they had to wear skirts or dresses there were no pants for girls uh all the girls wore nylons to school and their skirts could only be a certain length now i know that uh, i was told that they used to have to get down on their knees and if their skirt didn't touch the ground they could be what, written up or sent home, whatever it was. Do some of you women remember that in high school? I don't remember ever seeing a girl being made to do that. I assume they were called into the office and one of the female staff had them do that. But uh, it was, I mean, everybody looked nice. We really did care about our appearance too. I mean, the styles were a big deal. I remember you had to have certain brands and uh if you didn't, you know, you, you just weren't cool. Like it had to be Levi's jeans. It couldn't be any other kind of jeans. I remember we used to wear Pendleton shirts, especially in the wintertime. And they had to be genuine Pendleton and felt belts. Remember felt belts, the wide belts? We were very, very particular about how we dressed in high school. And that all changed uh, I graduated in 1965. Now, this was in California, but I that all changed about two years later. About two years later, all of a sudden, the dress code went out the window. And in all fairness, girls shouldn't have to wear skirts or dresses to school. But they they dress a little too casually these days. Girls in very short shorts. and uh, Well, anyway, I'm starting to sound like an old man. We'll have more R. Miss Brooks in the weeks ahead. Strawberries, cherries, and an angel's kiss in spring. My summer wine is really made from all these things. I walked in town on silver spurs, the jingle too. A song that I had only sang to just a few She saw my silver spurs and said let's pass some time And I will give to you summer wine Ooh, summer wine Strawberries, cherries, and an angel's kiss in spring My summer wine is really made from all these things Take off your silver spurs and help me pass 
Another great tune by Nancy Sinatra and Lee Hazel. The name of that one was Summer Wine. Big, big hit in the late 60s. And we might have been young. We might have been young back then, but we knew what they were singing about.
Every time we hear this music, aren't you just absolutely transported back to 1875? It's Dodge City, Kansas. Walking up Front Street, shoulder to shoulder with Marshal Matt Dillon. We are keeping the law, folks. We are making the streets safe for people like Doc and Kitty and Chester and all the good citizens on Gunsmoke. This is a... um, really good episode that we have tonight. It was first aired on the 27th of November in 1954, and it's entitled Cooter. And you might wonder for the first half of the show where that title come from, but hang around. You'll find out soon enough. So let's go back to Dodge City and Gunsmoke. Gunsmoke. Around Dodge City and in the territory on West, there's just one way to handle the killers and the spoilers, and that's with a U.S. Marshal and the smell of gun smoke. Gunsmoke, starring William Conrad. Transcribed story of the violence that moved west with young America. And the story of a man who moved with it. I'm that man. Matt Dillon, United States Marshal. The first man they look for and the last they want to meet. It's a chancy job. And it makes a man watchful. And a little lonely. Hello, Chester. Well, how was things up in Salina? Ah, real peaceful. A town constable's all they need, Chester. I'm not going to recommend the government spend any money up there. Ah, tell me about Dodge, Chester. Anything been happening here the past week? Mm, no, sir, nothing much. One fellow got killed last night, but outside of that, it's just been dull as winter. Oh, who got killed? Oh, I don't know, some wandering cowboy. Well, who killed him? 
A man called Pete that told me it was self-defense, Mr. Dillon, pure and simple. Why, did you see it? No, sir. Well, who did? Well, I, I, I believe the only man who saw the whole thing was that gambler, Ben Sissel. He's new here the last few days, been playing cards at Long Branch. You don't seem to know a whole lot about it, do you, Chester? Well, I was just starting to find out when I seen you riding up the street. Chester, where were you last night? Well, what with one thing and another, I was pretty busy. <laughs> All right, I hope you had a good time. Oh, I had a fine time. <laughs> just fine. Yeah. Oh, you can put my horse up if you want. I'm going over to the Long Branch. Uh, yes, sir, I'll come along when I'm through. I'll wait there for you. Just rode in, Kitty. Sit down. Thank you. Ah. Ah, you've been moving around a lot lately, Kitty. <laughs> what are you doing in the Long Branch now? Oh, I've been giving it a try the last few days. I kind of like it. Maybe I'll stay here a while. Yeah? <laughs> um, Kitty. Huh? Were you here last night? You're thinking of the killing we had. Yeah, I was here, Matt. Oh, did you see it? Most of it. I was standing there at the bar... Pate and Ben Sissel and that cowboy with a table in the back. I happened to be looking around for some reason. A Chester heard it was self-defense. The cowboy drew first, Matt, but I don't know that you could call it self-defense. Oh, why not? He wasn't after Pate. He was after Ben Sissel. What? He wasn't even looking at Pate, Matt. He was looking at Sissel. But even so, when he started to draw, it was Pate who killed him. Pate calls that self-defense? He says he thought the cowboy was drawing on him. Why did he think so? Well, he claims they've been arguing all evening about one thing or another. And besides, he said the cowboy knew Sissel wasn't even armed. Wasn't he? He never is. I see. Tommy Kitty. Huh? Uh, is this Pate always around when Ben Sissel's dealing? He sure is, Matt. Always. Pretty handy with a gun, is he? Too handy for an ordinary man. Yeah, I thought so. Ben Sissel's another crooked gambler using a hired gunman to protect him when he's caught. I don't know how you can prove it. Well, I can't prove it. But I can do something about it. Where would I find Ben Sissel now, Kitty, you know? Yeah, he's standing at the bar over there in a long black coat. Huh? Oh, yeah. Good. Now, Kitty, I'm sure glad you were here last night. I'll be here tonight, too, Matt. Huh? I do owe you a drink, don't I? Yeah. Okay, I'll come by. Anytime. So long. Ben Sissel? That's me. My name is Dylan Sissel. I'm a U.S. Marshal here. Oh, I... I thought you were out of town. I was. Well, what do you want, Marshal? Where are you from, Sissel? I mean, where's the last place you're from? Oh, I've been all over, Marshal. You know how gamblers are. Yeah, I know. Where'd you gamble last? Why, back east. Why? I didn't think you'd tell me. How long's Pate been working for you? Working for me? Mm-hmm. 
What are you trying to say, Marshal? Well, I'll make it real simple. The way you operate's already led to one killing here, and I'm not going to have any more. I didn't kill anybody, Marshal. There are plenty of witnesses to that. Where's Pate, Cecil? I don't know where he is. Why should I? I want to talk to him, and I want you with me when I do. You're getting kind of pushy, Marshal. Well, I can get a lot worse. I suppose we go outside and wait for a friend who's coming here to meet me, then we'll go talk to Pate. All right, get moving. Pate's got a room up here, Marshal, but I don't know if he's in. Well, if he isn't, you start thinking of someplace he might be, huh? Sure. Sure. I wouldn't blame him for not being here, Mr. Dillon. This is the poorest hotel in Dodge. Uh, you and I run the poorest hotel in Dodge, Chester. What? Oh, you mean the jail. Yes, sir, by golly, you're right. What are you hitting at, Marshal? I was talking to Chester. Is that the room? That's it. All right, knock on the door. Tell him you want to talk to him. Okay, but you're going to wish I hadn't. Knock. Ben Sissel. Ah, oh, Sissel, I have you. Who are these two? This is Marshal Dillon, Pate. Marshal Dillon? What's he doing here? We'll come inside and tell you. Oh, wait a minute, Get Marshall. out of the door. You come here over that cowboy last night's no use. Everybody saw it knows I killed him in self-defense. Of course you did. There are plenty of witnesses to that, Marshal. You're smart, Cecil, but you're a coward. That's why you need a hired gun to help you when you're caught dealing crooked. You'd better watch what you're saying. Now, why? I don't carry a gun, Marshal, but Pate does, and he happens to be a good friend of mine. Sure, but right now, Pate's gun belt is hanging on that chair over there. You see it? You blasted fool. He didn't tell me who was with you when you knocked. What do you expect? Supposing he had told you, Pate. I ain't afraid of you, Marshal. But you're armed, and I'm not. Chester. Yes, sir. Go get his gun belt. All right, sir. Pretty brave of you, Marshal. Arresting an unarmed man. I'm not arresting you, Pete. I wish I could. Then what are you doing? Chester, unbuckle that belt and hand it to him. Here you are. I put it on, Pete. Put it on. Get out of the way, Chester. Yes, sir. Well, put it on, I said. Okay. All right, you got your gun on now. Yeah. Get out of Dodge. What? I said, get out of Dodge. Right now. I ain't done nothing, Marshal. Don't stand there, Pate. Shoot him. He isn't even going to try to shoot me, Cecil. You don't pay him enough for that kind of work. I'm not some half-drunk cowboy. Am I, Pate? I got no quarrel with you. What kind of gunman are you, Pate? Are you afraid of him? The kind of gunman that can be hired isn't the kind that's going to take any real chances, Cecil. I said I 
I ain't got no quarrel with you. I don't like this. Let me out of here. Out of Dodge. Sure. It's a no-good town anyway. That door's open. Marshal is right, Sissel. This job don't pay enough. Yes, you win, Marshal. You won't find any gunmen here who'll hire out to you now, Cecil, so you might as well learn to deal straight. I always do, Marshal. Come on, Chester, let's get out of here. Yes, sir. Now, you uh, stay here and think about it for a while. Now, Cecil? I'm already thinking, Marshal. Now, you sure pulled Cecil's teeth, Mr. Dillon. He's a ruined man. No. He lost his gun, Chester, but he's still got his head. And I'm wondering how he's going to use it next. Maybe you should have run him out of Dodge, too. I'd rather he stayed here. Maybe next time I can arrest him and see him hung like he deserves. It didn't take Pate any longer to leave Dodge than to find his horse and get mounted. And for the next week, there was no trouble from Ben Sissel. He went on dealing cards. And although everybody was watching him pretty close, nobody found any reason to complain about him. He didn't win much money. But I began to think maybe he'd decided that being honest had some value anyway. Doc and I were talking about him in my office one noon. man like Ben Sissel doesn't change, Matt. He's a crook. And he'll always be one. He's worse than a crook. He's practically a murderer. He's also a coward, Doc. That's why I think maybe I got him stopped. Well, the way you've got him fixed now, in order to stay free, he's got to stay honest. Oh, that must be a hard choice for a man like that. Hey, Mr. Dillon. Oh, hello, Doc. Hello, Chester. Hey, Mr. Dillon, I just saw the darndest thing out on the street there. What, Chester? Well, sir, who would you say is the last man in Dodge you'd ever expect to start carrying a six-gun? Oh, I am. Oh, no. Outside of you, Doc. Well, I can't think of anybody except Doc who doesn't carry a gun now, Chester. What about Cooter Smith? Cooter Smith? If I hadn't saw him, I wouldn't believe it either. Well, what's he doing with a gun? Well, he's just leaning on a post down the street there now, Mr. Dillon. He shouldn't be allowed to wear a gun, a man like him. No. Uh, Chester, hmm? uh, go bring him in here, will you? I'd like to talk to him. Okay, sir. I'll get him. Huh. My goodness, things are getting mighty bad around here when even Cooter Smith decides to arm himself, man. Now, Cooter's pretty harmless, though. Well, you never know, man. A man like that can be harmless one day and dangerous the next. Yeah. Doc, uh... What is the matter with Cooter, anyway? Well, I don't know for sure, Matt, but I examined him once and looked to me like he got kicked in the head by a horse at one time. He won't say so for some reason, of course, but... Oh, poor fellow. Maybe he doesn't even want to remember that. Well, whatever it was, it sure made him half simple. I've seen men worse off. Yeah, I'm sure. Here he is, Mr. Dillon. Oh, hello, Cooter. Oh, come on in. <laughs> yeah. Hello, Cooter. Hello, Doc. Uh, I come here like Chester said, Marshal. Good, good, Cooter. 
I, uh, I wanted to talk to you. You never asked me to come here before. Well, that's because you never wore a gun before, Cooter. Well, that... That's for my job, Marshal. Your job? Job of work I got. Oh. oh. Well, what, what kind of a job is it? I don't rightly know yet, Marshal. Well, can you tell me what you do know? Uh, who hired you? The fellow that gave me this gun, he hired me for an awful lot of money, he said. Uh, uh, who was that? Well, I know what he looks like, but I don't remember his last name. Ben something. Ben Sissel. That's him. He's going to pay me for wearing this gun. He is, huh? Did he tell you why, Cooter? This afternoon. What? Well, that's when he's going to tell me everything I got to do. He's going to talk to me some more this afternoon. Sure talks a lot, that fella. Yeah. Oh, okay, Cooter. Fine. Uh, you can go along now. Uh, but look, uh, I hope you don't let Sissel talk you into any trouble. Oh, it ain't that, Marshal. As long as he don't try to make a fool out of me. Sometimes people do. I don't like that. Yeah, sure. Sure, Cooter. I think I'll go talk to him now and make sure. Bye. So long, Cooter. Don't pray evermore. What in the world do you make of that, Mr. Dillon? Well, I think maybe Sissel's crazier than Cooter is. And I'm going to be at the Long Branch tonight to make sure. Evening, Kitty. Well, hello, Matt. What are you doing around here so early tonight? I'm looking for Ben Sissel, Kitty. Huh? I don't see him, though. Well, he ought to be along soon. He's generally here by now. What's Chester doing over there by himself? Oh, he's waiting for Sissel, too. He must be expecting trouble. Yeah, maybe. Well, here it comes. Yeah? You won't mind if I get out of the way. See you later, Matt. Yeah. Hello, Marshal. Sizzle. Cooter Smith tells me you were talking to him this morning. I was. Well, he'll be here in a minute. You can talk to him some more. Fine. I don't know, Marshal. Maybe it won't be so fine. Oh? Cooter's not as easygoing as most people seem to think. He isn't? No. For example, you tie a gun on him, it kind of changes his whole character. It makes him mean, Marshal. You'd be surprised how mean. Yeah, yeah, I guess I would, Sissel. You don't believe me? I'll show you. Cooter! Hey, Cooter! <clears throat> go ahead, Cooter. I told him, go ahead now. Marshal? Yeah, Cooter. I'm going to draw on you, Marshal. What? I'm going to shoot you, and I'm going to kill you. 
Oh, now, look, Cooter, you know better than that. Is this what you've been putting into his head, Cecil? Don't you look at him, Marshal. You look at me. Don't you look at him. Not for a second. Oh, so that's it, huh? Okay, Cooter. Go ahead. Draw. I am. I'm going to... You look out, Marshal. I sure am... No, you're not. You haven't got a chance. Watch. There you see, you're too slow, Cooter. I got my gun out and you haven't even touched yours. No. I haven't touched mine. Your gun's pointing at me. I... Ben? Ben? He's not going to help you, Cooter. Yes, he is. Of course he is. It's him that's going to shoot you. It's him. Ben? The marshal's going to kill me. you got to shoot him. I can't stand no more. I can't. I just... Poor devil. Uh, Cecil, you ought to be real proud. I didn't do anything, Marshal. I, I wasn't going to shoot you. I don't even carry a gun, you know that. Sure, but Cooter didn't know it. You told him to make me start for my gun, and then you'd shoot me from the side where I couldn't see you. You told him he'd be safe. That isn't so, Marshal. What your plan was to make me kill him, huh? Wouldn't look so good for me to kill a man like Cooter, would it? Nobody would stand still for it. They'd laugh me out of town. That's what you were figuring on, wasn't it? I had nothing to do with it, Marshal. I wasn't figuring on anything. You're not as smart as I thought you were. Now, you leave in town, Cecil. I'll give you an hour. And I hope you take longer. Over here, Chester. Oh. Just a leave yet, Mr. Dillon? He's still saddling up in the stable over there. I'll give him about one more minute. Well, what did Doc say about Cooter? Oh, Cooter's fine. Doc gave him a Dover's powder. He, he's real calm now. Good. Where is he? I don't know. He left Doc's quite a while ago. You explained to him what Cecil was trying to do? Yes, sir. I made it real plain, like you told me. You think he understands now? Oh, he understands everything, Mr. Dillon. It's funny, but like Doc said, getting scared that bad seems to have helped him think straighter. A at least about what happened. He ain't near so fuzzy as usual. Good. Well, Cecil's time's up. I'm going to that stable now and run him out. Now, he won't give you no fight, Mr. Dillon. No, he won't. But I kind of wish he would. You should have run him out of Dodge a long time ago. I wanted to catch him, Chester. I wanted to bring him... Hey, what's that? Come on. Look there, Mr. Dillon. It's Cooter. He's done killed Ben Cecil. All right, drop the gun, Cooter. I've already dropped it. I ain't gonna shoot no more, Marshal. 
He shot him in the head, Mr. Dillon. He, he lied to me. He made a fool out of me. Well, why did you have to kill him, Cooter? I was running him out of Dodge. Don't you shoot me, Marshal. I wasn't going to shoot you. Honest, I wasn't. I like you. Like Sissel told me, I wasn't doing bad. I wasn't going to shoot you. Sissel was going to shoot you. I like you, Yeah, I, I know that, Cooter. I... I know that. Now, calm down, will you? I'm not going to hurt you. You're... You're pointing that gun at me? No, look. Look. My gun's back in my holster now. Look at it. I am looking at it. I can't stand that. No. No. Coder. Coder. Well, it's going after him, Mr. Dillon. That didn't scare him even worse. Oh, it's bad enough now. But he killed a man. He murdered him. He won't run far. I'll find him when his trial comes up. Now, I've done enough to Cooter for one day. Why? It ain't your fault, Mr. Dillon. No, but that doesn't make me feel any better about it. Gunsmoke, transcribed under the direction of Norman McDonald, stars William Conrad as Matt Dillon, U.S. Marshal. Tonight's story was specially written for Gunsmoke by John Meston, with music composed and conducted by Rex Corey. Sound patterns by Tom Hanley and Ray Kemper. Featured in the cast were Vic Perrin, John Daner, and Harry Bartell. Harley Bear is Chester, Howard McNair is Doc, and Georgia Ellis is Kitty. Join us again next week as Matt Dillon, U.S. Marshal, Fights to bring law and order out of the wild violence of the West in Gunsmoke. Hi, everyone. This is Perry Como, and I'd like to remind you that we're on for Chesterfield with all the top tunes every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday nights. This coming week, we'll be doing our new RCA Victor release, Home for the Holidays, a song that we all feel really expresses the spirit of the season. We hope that you'll join us. And don't forget those Chesterfields. Pick up a carton for the weekend. You'll enjoy them. Remember, listen again next week for another story of the Western Frontier when Marshal Matt Dillon, Chester Proudfoot, Doc, and Kitty, together with all the other hard-living citizens of Dodge, will be with you once more. It's America growing west in the 1870s. It's drama... It's Gunsmoke, brought to you by L and M Filters. This is the CBS Radio Network. That 
episode of Gunsmoke was first broadcast on November the 27th in 1954 on the CBS network. And the name of that episode was Cooter. And as always, we will have more Gunsmoke next time. Some velvet morning when I'm straight I'm gonna open up your gate And maybe tell you about Phaedra And how she gave me life And how she made it end Some velvet morning when I Another great song by Lee Hazelwood and Nancy Sinatra, and that one was called Some Velvet Morning. I always used to refer to it as Phaedra, but the actual song was, or the actual title is Some Velvet Morning. And again, this one I think was popular in 67, and uh, we were young. (laughs) 
<laughs> but but we understood what they were singing about, and that was uh, kind of a really oh, what's what's the word? A mystique. That song had a mystique to it. We're going to play uh, one more song uh, of theirs as we go out tonight. But before we do that, I just wanted you to know, a lot of people have been asking me, when is the website going to be back up? I'm working on it. This is the oldtimeradioshow.com. You can actually go in there, and I've got several shows up now, but I've, I have about 120 shows on SoundCloud which is a file service. I don't know if you're familiar with SoundCloud, but you can go into soundcloud.com and search for Bob Bro, and all of the shows are there. So you, if you want to listen to them, you can. These are shows that we did between, I think it was 2010 and 2012 or 13, something like that. And I need to put all the Boomer Boulevard shows on there, but I haven't. This is all very time-consuming, folks. And I'm trying to uh, redesign the website so it looks looks kind of cool and uh, also gives you some information about the individual shows. So that takes time. I think I've got seven or eight done, and you can see those on the website. Also, I put together a little logo or a, a compilation of a number of old-time radio stars. And if you go into the oldtimeradioshow.com, You'll see that. But believe me, this thing is a work uh, in progress. In fact, I've told it not even to list it as far as Google or any of those go yet because uh, I want to get it finished. But it's just, it's a lot of work and I don't have that much time. I, I, you know, work during the day. But at any rate, if you do want to go in and listen to some of the old shows, uh, just to appease those that have been asking me, Go into soundcloud.com, search for Bob Bro, B-O-B-B-R-O, and there you will find about 120 shows and a whole lot of Gunsmokes and a lot of uh, our Miss Brooks and Jack Bennies and Dragnets and Philip Marlowe's and the shows that we have played. A lot of uh, I Love a Mystery, too, uh, on there, and you can listen to them there. All right, Chester is giving me the high sign. It is time to pick up all of our shows and carry them back into the vault. Folks, that's going to kick things in the head for another week. Don't cry, though, because we'll be back in two weeks and we'll do it all over again. And hopefully we'll have another new slate of shows. And like I said, in the meantime, if you want to hear some more of our shows, you can, for the time being, until the website is completed, uh, you can go into SoundCloud. Excuse me. You can go into SoundCloud.com. And search for Bob Bro, and you will find about 100, I think it's 114 or 15 or 120 or something like that, number of shows on there. And we've got some good ones. We've got some good ones. And uh, it's kind of fun to even go back and listen to some of our older comments 
and what was going on in the world just even five, six, seven years ago. It's a lot of fun. All right, everybody. Uh, we're going to go out tonight with a- another great song by uh, Lee Hazelwood and Nancy Sinatra from the 60s. This one is entitled Sand. Until then, this is Bob Bro. I'm so glad you stopped by, and I'm so glad you met me.
he called me Sandy.